0: You're listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast, a program dedicated to advocating for a biblical worldview by encouraging Christian growth and ministry from a biblical perspective.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. I'm David Gunn, and I am here with Mike Hess. We wanted to take this episode to talk a little bit about a regular Baptist perspective on Lent. You know, Lent is coming up, it's one of those seasons where I find it interesting, every few years or so, the national media will suddenly take notice of the fact that all these Christians in America and, and abroad are celebrating this strange custom, right? And you, you get these sort of investigative reporters like go- going out into a, a strange civilization shrouded in mist <laughs> to report on, on this, this this bizarre, bewildering custom. It happens every few years. And whenever that does happen, we inevitably get questions. Okay, well... You guys are Baptists. We don't typically see you guys participating in these kinds of things. Uh, Certainly GARBC Baptists don't. There are some groups of Baptists of late that have sort of jumped on that. But people like to ask us, okay, what's your perspective on that? So we thought we'd take this this episode and just talk through that. Maybe we should start out by defining our terms. What, What exactly is Lent anyway, Mike?
0: Sure, so Lent would be observed... As a time beginning on Ash Wednesday, a 40 day time of preparing themselves, their hearts for Easter. Now, it didn't start that way. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But it begins with Ash Wednesday, where you notice uh, many of our Roman Catholic friends who were not in any way with this questioning sincerity or judging motives. That's right. And we're not using this to attack anybody. We want to always go back to the question what does Scripture say? So when you see Ash Wednesday and the crosses on people's foreheads, uh, that is supposed to signify repentance. And that's hence why they have sackcloth and ashes. So it's a 40-day fast of some sort. And in today, in our culture, in the time period where you and I would have grown up in, probably more associated with giving up meat on Fridays (laughs) than anything Super substantial. That's going to inconvenience or impact your life.
1: <laughs> that's true, and that wasn't always the case right. because you go back to Lent, Lenten observance in the Middle Ages, and uh, they really did get serious about fasting from uh, you know from luxuries from food. I guess there are probably people today that uh, that, that take it seriously and, and, and really make an effort to. Practice self denial during mm-hmm. the forty days, but you're right in a in a in a large way. Generally speaking, uh, it kind of it kind of has developed into this. Well, give up uh, give up meat on Fridays, or give up cigarettes for forty days, or increasingly uh, cut back on the amount of time that uh, you spend on social media for yeah, forty days. Uh, things of that nature. The number forty, of course, and this is how the, the, our friends who practice Lent. Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, other uh, high church groups uh, would view it. They would say that number 40 is, is obviously very symbolic scripturally. You have Moses Fasting and praying for 40 days. You've got the 40 day journey of Elijah to Mount Sinai, Jesus fasting 40 days before mm-hmm. uh, being tempted by Satan. And so uh, they see that as being a, a very rich symbolic number associated with self denial, with preparing one's heart for worship, and, and so right. on and so forth.
0: And until the sem- 7th century, the 600s, Lent began on what they called the Quadragesima, mm-hmm. okay, 40. And right background in Latin languages so that's where what, what traditionally they did sure. and uh, so to go into the history a little bit uh, where did Lent come from even back in the early uh, days of the early church the church Fathers had written of times when Christians would fast and pray and and prepare themselves perhaps for uh, baptism Irenaeus of Lyons his time was uh, roughly around the second and third century wrote about this back in the early days of the church. Um, It wouldn't be the 40 days we know of it today, but it was really Gregory the Great uh, who moved it to the way we understand it now. He was the one who basically uh, was the father of what you call the medieval papacy, uh, the way we understand the papacy today in the Roman Catholic Church. And he was the one who was credited with a ceremony that gave it its name today. Uh, so what you see today and what you understand today basically came from roughly the 6th sixth or 7th sixth or century.
1: Sure. Uh, you, you do see the 40-day fast beginning to creep in around the Council of Nicaea, mm-hmm. 300s uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, cer- certainly nothing before that. Like right. you said, there there are occasional fasts, occasional periods of preparation for Easter, for baptism, and those fasts took different forms, mm-hmm. but uh, it would be erroneous to equate that with Lent as we have it today. Right. Uh, in, in fact, there's it's interesting to read church historians today uh, discussing and sometimes debating the origin of Lent, there was a time not so very long ago that it was just taken for granted that those pre-Nicene periods of fasting sort of organically evolved into Lent as we know it today. And that consensus has really fallen apart. Yeah, Historians correct. now have uh, severe questions as to how exactly the Lent that we know and see and, and, and in some cases practice today ever came to be. And it's very questionable whether its roots can actually be traced back prior to the mm-hmm. Council of Nicaea. And that's important to us as Baptists because of our stance on sola scriptura, scriptural authority, New Testament authority mm-hmm. over faith and practice. Um, that's not to say that we, we just discount anything that uh, we can't trace directly back to the Bible. But when we're talking about forms of worship, uh, that becomes a little bit dicey. Right, right. So should we observe Lent, I guess, is is, is where that brings us. Well,
0: the deeper question is, what does Scripture say? Does Scripture mandate this like it does Christians assembling for church, like it does church discipline, uh, believers' baptism by
1: immersion? Even singing in church Even as a, as a practice, you can preach. Yeah, you can Preaching find New Testament passages that prescribe right. those things as right. parts of our formalized worship right. service.
0: Taking communion, mm-hmm. the, the ordinances that we that we observe. So that is clear cut. In Scripture. Now, obviously, there's a lot of things we do in the setting of a local church that are not clearly there in Scripture. There's no air conditioner mentioned, there's no heater mentioned, and of course, there's no carpeting mentioned, which (laughs) we're famous for bringing up. But that's the question to ask. What does Scripture say? And obviously, there is no clear cut command in Scripture that tells us there has to be a setting aside of 40 days leading up to what we observe today as Good Friday and Easter as a time of fasting or just giving up certain things. In fact, this is what this comes down to. And we have talked about this, David and I, recently in recent days in preparing for this podcast, the whole principle of fasting in the New Testament, when you look at that and you study it, it's somewhat assumed, but I'm not sure it's commanded explicitly that Christians in the church age fast.
1: That's right.
0: As our Jewish friends were commanded to do in the Old Testament, namely on the day of atonement. And I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but this is where good Bible interpretation comes in <laughs> that there's a distinction between Israel and the church and to understand what commands were given to an Old Testament Jewish person you cannot just automatically place on us today in the church age. And that's an important thing. The right. other thing is this. Uh, the Bible's very clear on forbidding things, on uh, not forbidding things, that God actually calls good. Right. So we read in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 that Timothy, who is uh, being written to by Paul, who mentored him, led him to Christ, and Paul is encouraging him to be very careful of those who a forbid marriage and tell him to stay away and abstain from meats and then he goes on in a very important verse in verse 4 where he says everything created by God is good and is to be received if it's received with thanksgiving or it's not to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving it was jesus in mark chapter 7 who declared all foods clean and of course this was an issue in the early church when you look at passages like romans 14 1 corinthians 10 where they're fighting over things like meat <laughs> thankfully our churches aren't fighting over that today <laughs> right but uh and then also in acts 10 where peter because of his jewish background needed some clarification that, hey, it's okay to eat this food. That's right. It's okay to do this.
1: And that comes to a head in Acts 15 with the Jerusalem Council and the the decision very early on in the history of the Christian church that we're not going to take these ceremonial laws from the Mosaic Code and impose them on church-age believers. Correct.
0: Right.
1: So all that to say, it's not that fasting is necessarily... uh, you know, forbidden for Christians today. Right. I, I don't think we would Correct. make that no. leap. We're not Absolutely saying there's not. never a time for right. uh, for for doing that kind of thing. We are saying you'd be hard pressed to come up with a passage in the New Testament that specifically uh, commands or suggests to church age believers that they ought to fast. You you find some principles, I suppose you could say, that would apply to situations where you might be fasting. But uh, as far as as really specific instructions, not a one. Most of the references, the explicit references to fasting in the New Testament come from the Gospels prior to the Mm -hmm. day of Pentecost, prior to the birth of the church. Right. So that's that's an important point. And ultimately,
0: this comes down to this. Um, Our righteousness and our acceptance before God does not come from observing religious rituals. And it doesn't come from somebody saying your sins are absolved or because you have given up, whether it be meat or coffee, heaven forbid, for 40 <laughs> days, or give up maybe, uh, like you mentioned, social media. Those things are not where we get our righteousness from. That's right. Our righteousness ultimately comes from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again. And by God's grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, we are redeemed and forgiven only through faith in him. So it's very misleading, I think, to to say, well, you're more accepted by God because you've participated in a 40-day fast of some sort. If those things are right to do for 40 days... Well, obviously, in Scripture, the mandate is there that we should live righteously every day of our lives. <laughs> that's right. And, and live a life of confession and repentance every single day, and not just heighten the importance of that for 40 days as a tradition of some sort.
1: Yeah, that's right. And connected with that, I think, would be the observation that New Testament spirituality is not event-centered, It is not predominantly liturgy-centered. You did have more of that in the Old Testament, in in those systems and structures that God had set up for national Israel. For the church... Not so much when, when Christ says that uh, an hour is coming when when people will worship God in spirit and in truth. I think that reflects this coming dispensational change, and, and the epistles really flesh that out for you. There, there's, there's a lot written about New Testament sanctification, New Testament spirituality, that, uh, as you indicated earlier, uh, flows out of a heart that has already been forgiven, that has been redeemed, that has love for the Lord, and because of that... It, uh, it overflows into things like consecration, devotion to God, uh, things that are empowered by the Spirit and by the principles of grace rather than the principles of law. And uh, it, it, it does concern me that observance of things like Lent tends to blur that distinction between right. the New Testament approach to spirituality and the Old Testament approach to spirituality.
0: So David and I are not saying that if you fast, you're sinning. You, you could be sinning because Jesus did make it clear in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, that when you fast, it's not something that you do to draw attention to yourself or to brag about to other people. Uh, and it's not necessarily wrong for Christians to practice fasting on occasion. And in fact, it may be helpful at times. And it sure. seems to allude to that in 1 Corinthians 7 mm-hmm. in the pursuit of, of personal holiness. Um, but always to keep in mind... It's a private matter between you and God. We're not to toot our own spiritual horn, and it again, it always comes down to our motives. What is our real motive with this? And and there's nothing wrong with setting aside, as we do, even as regular Baptists. We we celebrate Good Friday, and we take that time to meditate on the cross and meditate on the atonement and meditate on the glorious truth that it is finished, that Christ has accomplished it once and for all, and that our righteousness rests in him. And then, of course, Easter, the glorious truth of what Christ has done and to prepare our hearts to worship him and in remembrance of the gospel of the death and resurrection. Uh, But I think we ought to be very careful, again, going back to the authority of Scripture, to not jump on the Lent bandwagon and not to jump on that and instead we should always be seeking to do to devote ourselves to God every day of the year if it's right to do on those 40 days it's right to do every single day of the year regardless of the season yeah, or the circumstances we're facing.
1: That's right. I think it would be worth mentioning, too, because starting, I don't know, five, ten years ago, you did see some Baptist groups starting to jump on the Lent bandwagon, sort of becoming enamored with the high church liturgy, and uh, let, let's, let's try to implement this and integrate it into our previously existing structures of worship and uh One of the things that concerns me about that is that you you can't just appropriate a practice like Lent without taking into consideration the theological framework Mm -hmm. that that grew out of and that that is typically celebrated in. And and so when our friends in especially the Catholic Church but other high church contexts as well When they observe Lent, we have to understand the the, the concepts of of condign and congruous merit that goes with that. This whole system of sacramental achievement, where they would say, uh, yes, we're saved by God's grace, but then through doing these sacraments, God imparts to us more grace, that increases our standing with God, that contributes to our justification. And so for a Baptist who rejects that kind of a, a sacramental framework, a high church, um, in in my opinion, aberrant theological framework to then try and, and sort of pick and choose elements from that liturgical system and just implement it I, I think that can be dangerous. It's certainly misleading, as we've said right. already a couple of times. But it also really opens the door to allowing some some bad theological thinking to influence the way that you approach Christ and sin and uh, and, and the whole process of sanctification and church worship. Yeah,
0: I'd agree. Amen. That's well stated, David.
1: All right, this has been a uh, a shorter episode for us this week. Before we go, let me just make a quick... Uh, book recommendation, a few years back, Regular Baptist Press published High Church Heresy by Ken Gwinden. Ken's an interesting guy. He comes out of a Catholic and Eastern Orthodox background, and so he brings a lot of credibility when he writes of these issues. But uh, he, he looks at kind of the, the recent phenomenon of evangelicals uh, going off and joining Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches, and uh, in response to that, writes, in my opinion, a very, very good book, studying and uh, and, and sort of exposing the aberrant theological foundations that lie at the roots of these kinds of movements so i would recommend that book to you again the title is high church heresy the author is ken gwinden and that about wraps it up for us for this episode thank you mike thank you david thank you listeners until next time soli deo gloria thank you for listening to the baptist bulletin podcast The Regular Baptist Network of
0: Ministries exists to make disciples through healthy local churches. If you like this podcast, subscribe to your podcast platform of choice. You can find out more about our ministries at garbc.org and follow Regular Baptist Ministries on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.